David in the Psalms in chapter 40 wrote that the Lord drew me up from the pit of destruction and set my feet upon a rock and put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Aren't you thankful that Jesus drew you up from the pit, set you upon the rock and put a new song in your mouth? I'm thankful that God in his grace and his love and his mercy reached down into my broken, messed up, sinful life and restored me and renewed me and redeemed me and gave me a purpose and gave me a calling and gave me a fulfillment and a satisfaction that this world could have never given me the way in which he has. Thankful for the work of Christ in my life. I just think it's cool that when David wrote that back during those days, now here we sit generations upon generations upon generations later and saints are still singing songs of praise unto God. What a great and awesome thing. Our God is worthy and deserving of our praise. I'm going to need you to meet me in the book of Joshua tonight, chapter 14, as we begin over the next couple of weeks, bringing this series that we've been in together to a close. Those of you that have been here and that have been a part of it over the past several weeks, how many of you have been blessed or encouraged or challenged or inspired or motivated by the life of Caleb and how he lived as a servant of God? I know I've been blessed. I've learned a lot from the life of Caleb and how he lived in a different way than everybody else around him. And that's what we've built this series upon, the fact that Caleb himself was built different. In the book of Numbers, God looked down upon his servant Caleb and he said, my servant Caleb has a different spirit about him. And we've seen that over the last several weeks, and it's been a pleasure looking at his life and learning from it and how we can live our lives on another level than everyone else around us for the glory of God on the earth. And as we begin these next couple of weeks, looking at the close of our series, our last interaction with Caleb was in the book of Numbers and in chapter 14, where he and Joshua were pleading with the people to have faith and to enter into the promised land and not rebel against God. And those pleas were ultimately unsuccessful. And God's judgment fell upon his people. And to be honest, something kind of similar happened in my house the other night where somebody asked me to do something and I rebelled and the ensuing judgment of my wife fell upon me in those moments. And I got to be honest, man, that kind of wrath, that kind of anger that came down in that house, I thought, well, sounds real similar to like where Joshua and Caleb and the Israelites were at because we got home and it had kind of been a long day. It was Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. We got home that night and Sunday was just kind of just a hectic day and we got home that night, and she put Graham to bed, and she asked if we were staying in the kitchen. She's like, hey, I want to do just like the next 20 minutes before we go to bed. Can you help me kind of tidy up the house? And I just said no. I didn't give an explanation. <laughs> I didn't give a justification. For whatever reason, something inside of me just compelled myself to say no. I was tired. I was worn out. I really didn't want to do anything other than sit down on the couch and enjoy a few minutes watching TV. Right, guys? Is that so much to ask for? I mean... Mike, it's been a long day, right? She asked me to help tidy up the house. I said no, didn't give any explanation. Well, she went on to tidy in the house, and I knew like two minutes in it, it was over. <laughs> you know, because it's like, it wasn't like a nice, neat tidy up. It was like a picking up stuff, throwing across the room. I was like, ooh. Judgment fell in that house that night. Oh my goodness, it was so bad. But I went back to this moment and I was like, boy, it had to have been like when Caleb asked the people, don't rebel against God. Let's just go in. And all I said was no. 
The judgment of God fell. Silly example, but I kind of felt familiar with Caleb and the struggles that he was going with with the people. But after that happens, Caleb falls off the scene for a little bit. And we don't see him again until Joshua 14. Now, a lot happens in the gap. So let me catch you up on the details real quick. After the rebellion, God's judgment falls down upon his people in the form of them having to wander around in the wilderness until the faithless generation dies off. When that time comes, Joshua replaces Moses as the leader of the people, and he begins to prepare them to go into the promised land. And as they move in, they're making their preparation, they once again send spies in to scout out the land because it's been 40 years since they'd scouted out the first time. So they send spies back in to re-scout out the land. They come back and they give Joshua a report. Joshua mobilizes the people. God splits the Jordan River so they can cross into the promised land for the first time. They walk up to Jericho. They fight their first battle, and they have major success as God pulls the walls down. And then the conquest of the land begins all throughout the book of Joshua. And when we get to this point, they're beginning to divide up the land. In other words, right now we're seeing the spoils of war being divided up amongst God's people. And God is giving to each person, God is giving to each tribe their allotted inheritance of the land that he had promised to give them. And that's when Caleb re-enters, ready to stake his claim on some real estate. So Joshua 14, starting in verse 6, God's word says, And the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was on the day that Moses sent me. And my strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Tonight will be part one of a two-part message where I want us to focus on being a rare breed. To be built different is to be a rare breed. And to be a rare breed is to be someone with characteristics that are uncommon among their kind. That was Caleb. Caleb was built different. Caleb was a rare breed. He was someone who was uncommon amongst all the other people of his time. This man has come to Joshua now that they are advancing into the promised land and is telling him what piece of property that he wants. And there's so much at play here in these moments. That's why it's going to take us a couple of weeks to work our way through it because I want to show you the kind of characteristics that someone like this exhibits. Remember, these aren't things that you find in everybody. Listen, though. Just because it's lacking doesn't mean it can't be developed. So turn to somebody beside you 
and tell them, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm working on it. I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm working on it. Y'all got to loosen up a little bit tonight. Come on. My goodness, we're six weeks into this stuff. Y'all know how the program works. I don't have it all figured out yet, but I'm working on it. Let's talk about someone. Let's talk about the characteristics of somebody who is a rare breed. The first characteristic that you find of somebody like this is that they have an uncommon persistence. I told you someone who is a rare breed exhibits uncommon characteristics among their kind. So Caleb had an uncommon persistence about him. If you go back and look in verse 7 with me, let's go back and rehash the details. Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses. So let's walk through a little bit of math to help set up the rest of this point. As we recount the details of the story, Caleb informs us that he was 40 years old when he first spied out the land with the other spies. Through Moses, God made a promise to Caleb that he would receive a portion of this land as an inheritance. Caleb then tells us that 45 years have passed since that time, and he's now what? 40 plus 45 is 85. Y'all are making a good use of your college education and mom and daddy's money and scholarships that you've earned. 85 years old. I was, some of y'all don't know this, some of you do, but I didn't always have the same truck that I have right now. I'm blessed to have a, the black Toyota Tundra sitting out in the parking lot right in front of the door. Yes, I'm that guy who, as one of the leaders of this church, will not humble himself and park somewhere else so one of y'all can have the nice parking spot. I park front and center about five steps from the door. It is what it is. That's fine. I didn't always have that vehicle. For the longest time, since I was 17, I drove a white F-150. It was a great truck. 275,000 miles on it. It was a blessing. The heat didn't work. The air didn't work. The roof leaked. About every other week, it had to be in the shop for some kind of repair or tune-up. I drove that thing, man, until literally a, a guy wrecked me on Northwood and totaled it out. That was the end of that truck. And after that happened, you know, for the better part of my life, I had never looked or shopped for a new vehicle. I didn't want one at the time, but now I'm kind of forced as a necessity of the matter. I got to have another vehicle to drive. And so begins the process of looking for a new truck. And y'all guys, you know how it is. Like, it's never the most fun process, but once you get into it, you kind of like, that's all you can think about. It just dominates your mind. You're constantly scrolling. You're constantly searching. You're constantly looking. Man, your eyes, you start getting excited a little bit. Like, the more I thought about getting a new vehicle, the more excited I thought about it. It was just a matter of finding the one that worked for me. And I found this used car lot in Jasper, Alabama. And I don't think there's really anything else in Jasper, Alabama. At least nothing that was beneficial for me except for that used car lot, and there was the truck that I needed. That black Toyota Tundra, and it caught my eye. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's the one. 
right there. And God worked it out where I was able to bring it back home. Been blessed ever since. But I was so excited. I got so excited in the process of going and looking for that truck. Imagine the excitement and the joy and the eagerness that Caleb must have felt as he took in all the sights of the land when he walked through it the first time. The milk, the honey, the grapes, the meadows, the rivers, the streams, the mountains. And then he sees it. He sees that one perfect place. That one place that he's going to call home for him and his family. It just stuck out like a sore thumb to him. He thought, that's it, man. I can picture my family right there. I can picture us digging in. I can see my kids playing in the front yard. I can see my wife in the garden in the back. I can see me in my shop over here at the side. It just drew him in, and he knew that was going to be the place where he was going to establish his life and the blessing and the promise that God was going to bring to him because it was promised. It was assured. It wasn't a matter of question. It was a matter of when he was going to get back to it. All to have that return. And watch God's people rebel and turn against God. And as a result, having to wander the wilderness for another 40 years. Hey, 40 years. God made a promise to Caleb. But he wouldn't see it fulfilled until 45 years later. 40 years of wandering with a faithless people. 40 years of wondering how things would work out. 40 years of moving, but never progressing. 40 years of questioning. And y'all are worried you might waste four years. But underneath all of that, Caleb carried on with a persistence. A continuance of following God and not giving up or losing hope in the promise that God had made to him so long ago. On his hardest days, he persisted. In his deepest doubts, he persisted. In times of despair, he persisted. When he felt defeated, he persisted. When it seemed pointless, he persisted. And I'm showing you all of this because I think for some of you, there may be something that God has shown you in your life or promised you in your life, or given to you to be your own. And it's been weeks, it's been months, maybe it's even been years, and it still hasn't happened. It's still been left unfulfilled. My encouragement to you tonight is to persist. Don't give up on it. Don't stop moving towards it. Don't lose faith in believing that God will work it out. Persistence is a big deal to our God. I don't know if you realize it or not. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, he tells a parable of a woman, and he says this to his disciples. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, and she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says? And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God wants to see persistence be evident in the lives of his saints because it coincides with faith. So listen to me. Persist in praying for your family. Persist in praying for your friends. Persist in praying for your coworkers, your team, your campus, and have faith that God will indeed change their lives. 
Persist in your pursuit of knowing Him and following Him with your lives and have faith that He will indeed grow you. Persist in living free in His name and no longer in bondage to sin or shame and have faith that He will continue to bring you victory. Persist through trials and tragedy, through pain and suffering, through despair and doubt and have faith that He will be with you on your hardest days. Persist in your deepest doubts. Persist in your times of despair. Persist when you feel defeated. Persist when everything else seems pointless. Persist. Men and women of God that are a rare breed and are built different, persist in the promise that God has laid out in front of them. Keep persisting. Keep pushing. Keep Prodding, keep trusting, keep believing in faith that God will bring it to pass. It's uncommon to persist in our day and in our culture because it's much easier to just give up. It's much easier to lose hope. It's much easier to move on to something else. But those who are built different, they persist. And this kind of person not only is uncommon in their persistence, but they're uncommon in their mentality. In verse 10, it says, Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just that he says, those 45 years since that time, the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I'm this day, 85 years old. People who are a rare breed, they have an uncommon mentality. They just think on a different level. It's interesting to me, though, that Caleb in this verse says, All this time the Lord has kept me alive while Israel walked in the wilderness. Why didn't he say while we walked in the wilderness? He was a part of those people. He was a part of that group. And most of us, just by default, when we began to give an account of something that involved us being a part of a group that we were with, we just include ourselves in the we. But Caleb says, God kept me alive all this time while Israel walked in the wilderness. And it intrigued me the fact that he didn't say while we walked in the wilderness. And I think it's because Caleb chose not to associate himself with the faithless. He didn't want to be lumped in with that crowd. He didn't want to be known as those that were considered a part of a faithless generation. Why? Because he wasn't. He had faith and he didn't want to associate himself with the faithlessness of his other friends, of his other family members, of his other people. He didn't walk like they walked. He didn't talk like they talked. He didn't see how they saw and he didn't think how they thought. And while they wandered around in that wilderness, Caleb held a different mentality than most of the people around him. And it gives us a glimpse in at least two things that I want to show you that are characteristic of an uncommon mentality. And the first one is this, an uncommon mentality is not okay with okay. For the majority of the people, after time went by, they became familiar with the forest. In other words, they didn't see it as such a bad place to be, all things considered. I mean, they didn't have to go back to Egypt, which was their place of bondage. They didn't have to move forward into the promised land, which they were convinced was going to end up in their ultimate death and demise. So after a while of wandering around in that place, they didn't see it as such a bad thing after all. When you take into consideration all the other details in God and his grace and his mercy and his love, on top of all that, continued to take care of and provide for his people because that's just how good he is. They even continued to see miraculous signs and wonders take place while they were wandering in the wilderness. 
And over time, they became okay with where they had ended up. But for Caleb, it was never okay. It was never fine. It was never all right. It was never, well, it's really not that bad. And sure, there were worse places for them to be, but at the same time, there was a better place for them to be also. And in his mind, Caleb never left or forgot about the promise of God. He didn't want to become familiar with where he was. He was never going to be okay with being in the wilderness. And on top of that, not only does this kind of mindset not be okay with okay, it also sets itself toward a higher level. So an uncommon mentality sets itself towards a higher level. Caleb knew that God had called them to more. Caleb knew that God had called them to live as a people at a different level. And that had always been his mentality, even before they ever even entered into the land. He understood that above everything else, they were God's chosen people, set apart to be a display of God's glory to the nations, to point them towards the one true almighty God. Caleb's mentality was set towards a higher level. In your walk with Jesus, men and women, don't be okay with okay. In your walk with Jesus, don't be okay with okay. You may be in what you consider a good place right now. You might be seeing some good things. You might be seeing God working in some ways. You might be seeing God do some miraculous things in certain ways. And all things considered, there could be worse places for you to be. But there's also places, better places for you to get to. And I, don't, I think one of the main traps that we as followers of Jesus fall into is looking around and realizing, hey, I'm not where I've been. I'm in a pretty good place right now. And we get content. We get familiar. We get okay with that place. And we forget to realize that God has better places for you to get to. Let's stop being okay with a little bit of change. Let's stop being okay with a little bit of progress. Let's stop being okay with just seeing a little bit of supernatural work of our God here and there every now and then. And set our minds towards a higher level. Check out these verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be transformed by the, renew the renewal of your mind. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. John 14.12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love them. I've been asking God on behalf of every single one of you guys that he would transform our minds to be set on things above so we might see greater things done by our God who can do immeasurably more than what has never even entered into our hearts to ask because I'm done with being okay with where I'm at when I've seen where God wants me to be. Yes, I've seen God do some great things in my life. Yes, I've seen seasons of blessing, seasons of fruitfulness in my life. But I've come to realize that through Caleb's life as well, one of the greatest traps that I have fallen into throughout the course of my life is to just be okay with the place that God had brought me into. And forgetting and failing to realize that he had better places to continue carrying me. 
as a body of believers, let's change our mentality. Let's change our mentality to no longer being okay with where we are when we've seen places where God wants us to be. One last thing. One last characteristic. These kind of people, they exhibit an uncommon strength. If you look in verse 11, as Caleb continues his conversation with Joshua, he says, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for coming and for going. If you haven't been convinced yet, maybe now you can see that Caleb really was built different because this man says, I'm as strong at 85 as I was at 40. Old man strength is a real thing. And some of you guys in the room can appreciate this because there came a certain time in your life where you thought you could push back on the old man a little bit. You thought you'd test the waters and you were in the prime of your time, 17, 18, 19 years old, so you tried to bow up on dad a little bit and you got humbled real quick. It's a real thing. Old man strength is a real thing and I'm convinced now that scripture supports that. <laughs> Caleb is 85 years old. And he's ready for war. Now, I'm sorry. My grandmother, God love her, we had to put her in assisted living recently. I go down there and see her from time to time. There's some 85-year-old men walking around in that place. You're not taking them into battle. <laughs> not even close. It's not happening. You might think, well, try this Old Testament. It's different times. People lived longer back then. Not after the fall. Sin had already entered into the world and corrupted the bodies of God's creation. Caleb should have been aging at this point just like anybody else. Yet he's 85 and he walks up to Joshua and he says, uh, I want that little piece of land right over there. And I know the Anakim, which are giants, like Goliath's kinfolk. It's been like Goliath's granddaddy, great-granddaddy. I know they're over there, but uh, that ain't going to be no problem. I'm still as strong today as I was when God sent me in the first time. Caleb wasn't worried because he had an uncommon strength. But you know, the source of his strength didn't come from hitting the gym every day. It was supernatural. It was God sourced and God supplied. He shouldn't have been that strong at that age. He should have been like any other old and stove up old man. Barely able to cripple around from one place to the next, and yet God had sustained his strength. And that's why he had such confidence to go in and face the remaining giants that were in the land. Listen to me, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you have a supernatural strength that is God-sourced and God-sustained inside of you as well. Don't be intimidated by the size of your enemy. Through God's strength, you can break through addiction. Through God's strength, you can break through disorders. Through God's strength, you can break through depression. You can break through anxiety. You can break through loneliness. You can break through fear. But it's not just that you can break through. It's that you can also withstand. So through God's strength, you can withstand temptation. Through God's strength, you can withstand peer pressure. Through God's strength, you can withstand conformity. Through God's strength, you can withstand pain and suffering. You can withstand persecution. Psalm 73, 26, and my flesh and my heart may fail, 
But my God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 16, 8 says, I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And when his strength leads to breakthrough in your life and the ability to withstand, people take notice because it's not common. It's not common for people to make a 180 change in their life. It's not common for people to all of a sudden just stop showing up in the places that they've been. It's not common for people to stop showing up around the people that they've always been with. It's not common for people to leave behind everything that was worldly in them to all of a sudden start pursuing in faith something that maybe prior to that they didn't even know existed for real. It's not common. A couple of years back, in 2018, somebody in our state spotted a yellow cardinal. And you might think, well, why is that weird? Well, you know what color a cardinal is supposed to be, right? They're red. So a yellow one is quite obviously out of place. In other words, it's a rare breed. And it only happens when a certain specific mutation of their genetics takes place. So rare, as a matter of fact, that I tried to find a statistic to quantify it. And biologists say that it's such a rarity that they can't even really put odds on it. All they can say is that it truly is a one in a million chance to see a yellow cardinal. One showed up in Alabama a couple of years back, and somebody snapped a picture of it. And the press got a hold of it. And when they did, biologists, park rangers, forestry people as quick as they could, got on the horn and made sure that the location of where that picture was taken wasn't disclosed because all the crazy fanatic bird watchers would have swarmed to that place to try and see and photograph that bird. Why? Because it was extremely rare. And people are drawn to what they don't normally get to see. Listen, guys, we as God's people ought to be a rare breed. And our lives should be lived in such a way that when people look at it, they're drawn to it because it's so odd. It's so different. It's so unique. It's so beautiful in ways that they've never seen before. That they can't help but want to get a better look at it. They can't help but want to see what goes into that to make it look such a way. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us that have claimed to be a follower of Jesus, that our lives would look so rare amongst the world around us that people wouldn't help but be drawn to look at it and try to figure out what is it about this person? What is it about this guy? What is it about this girl that makes them so unique? And I promise you, if you give them the opportunity to look hard and to look long enough, We'll find out it's Jesus underneath. And that's how we make disciples of the world around us. By allowing them to see who it is that made us this way. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. 
Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through his word here at Life.